0: And as you think about who Jesus is, has been, and will continue to be, I'm hoping those are the descriptors that you use, and that, why are we here? We're here to worship. We're here to worship him. Not you and I, I've read, and you guys have probably read, this written conversation between two people and the person says I didn't like worship today and the other person responds that's okay we weren't worshiping you <laughs> and I love that 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 just catches the sentiment and it says that when I come to worship I'm not coming necessarily to be entertained although yes we do like to people in excellence to help us to worship, but understand, please don't lose sight of the fact that uh, we are here to worship him. Our songs will reflect it. Our focus will be in that direction. Our intent will be clear. We are not here to worship man. We are here to worship God. Amen. Amen. Stand with me as we read the text for this morning, and actually this again will be another two-parter You can turn to Matthew chapter 9, be verses 18 through 26. In your Bibles, if you don't, if you just want to read in the centerfold of your bulletin, we have the text as well in the ESV. Let's read together. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned, and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Father, as we get into your word, may we hear what you are saying, may we see where you are leading, may we understand what we need to do as a result of what we hear this morning. We commit our time to you in Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, as you know, we've been continuing through Matthew in Jesus affirming the fact of who he is to the crowd one of the things i want us to be made known this is a very familiar story in text and if you're going wow this is kind of the cliff notes version this is this is short matthew does have the tendency because of what he is trying to do where he is focusing his attention matthew abbreviates the stories um, in 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 greater measure than the other two gospels. And so we will be going to Matthew cha- I mean Mark chapter five and then it's also in Luke as well. They give longer um, 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 and more detail longer stories and more details in the story because of what they were seeking to tell in their account. And so understand this, this wasn't just a, a a chronological, I'm telling you what he did next and he did next. That's not exactly how the gospels were written. The gospels were written where where these gospel writers were telling the story. They were evangelists, is what you were saying, you know, preaching to those who Christ is and 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 how they should respond. And as we know, Matthew has been talking about all along the authority of Jesus. Jesus has the authority as God because he is God in the flesh. And so he was continuing to do that in all his stories. And in this particular case, this week and next week, what we'll be looking at is the fact that Jesus is trustworthy and rewards true faith. Jesus is trustworthy and rewards true faith. Because this, as we're going to see here, this is the last of a triad, we'll call it, of actually healings that Jesus done. And these are three accounts that we'll see here. In the first one, they're kind of a two in one. You get two healings in one, but these are three accounts. And what Jesus is doing, he is affirming the fact That he is indeed a healer and that he can heal both physically and spiritually, and that he is one who has come to save and be engaged with humanity. And so uh, he's not here to put on some show. This is not some healing convention. He's not giving us some example that we go and do likewise. What Jesus is doing here in these accounts is he is affirming the fact I am truly the one sent by God who can and will heal because I have the authority. And I'm trustworthy enough that you can depend on me, unlike those that are opposing me. Now, here's the deal you're going to see, too. As Jesus' popularity is increasing, so is the opposition against him. It is almost coming in step for step. That's a reminder to you and I. If God starts elevating you in ministry, if God starts allowing you to have success as you live your life in Christ, I'm just going to remind you, be looking out for the opposition to be increasing as well. It is throughout Scripture that we see where, where the work of God is increasing. The opposition against the work of God increases as well. But don't worry. Jesus said, take heart. He, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. And he says that. In other words, as you continue to do the work that I send you to do, it will increase and grow. But, but you will have tribulation as a result of it. You will have trials. There will be opposition. But I like what he says, because he says it here in this section. He says, but take heart. In other words, that That two-word phrase says, don't be discouraged, don't give up, don't throw it in, don't say, see, I'm done with this, I'm, I'm out here serving you, and I'm sacrificing the Lord, and I'm doing all this, and you just keep throwing it at me. God says that's the way it works in the world, is that as you increase in the work of God, opposition against the work of God increases, and so expect it. So as you keep growing in the Lord... You got to understand your opposition is growing too. But take heart. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. In other words, they won't win. They won't end up getting the upper hand. It won't work out in their favor in the end. Even if it causes you some hardships, as a matter of fact, even if it causes you your life, they won't win why jesus said i've overcome the world and so he sets the stage now and so we see it here he comes up and, and, and Matthew gives us that as he was finishing his conversation about why his disciples didn't fast. You notice that I skipped over a part. We weren't going to be looking in that. But 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 they were asking not because they were so concerned about fasting is that they were trying to trip Jesus up. The opposition is increasing. And so they ask his disciples, you know, you know, why? You know, why doesn't. Um, why doesn't your guy fast and why doesn't he have his disciples fast and he explains why and then as he's finishing with that in runs someone that begins this triad of stories in one and in runs someone that Matthew calls a ruler Mark in chapter 5 verse 21 gives us his name his name is Jairus and he is a ruler of the synagogue and the way that works, and he was probably one, as, as, as most theologians would see, he was probably one who kept the order in the synagogue and the way things run in the synagogue. As you understand the synagogue was the center of life for the community. And even back in the day, the church was the center of the culture and community. One of the things we saw as we lived in Europe, as you go to some of the older European countries, what you will see is at the center of every village, every village at the center. You know you are at the center of the village when you're at the church. Because even today, at the center of the village, even if these churches are empty, even if they're not preaching the gospel, even if these places are, 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 are scarce, he says that at the center of the village was the church in the village that we lived in. And even the part of the city that we lived in, the church was in the center of town. And the bells would ring in the morning, and it was the place where culture and life met and where social things were happening. It was the center of life, and it was here as well in the synagogue. And so he was the ruler of that synagogue. And so have to understand this. Think about this for a second. Don't just let this story pass over you as some great flannel board Bible story. That's not what Jesus was doing here. He was helping us to understand and affirm who he is, that he was both trustworthy and he's a rewarder. He's both trustworthy and a rewarder. So this man would have been a man of means. He would have been well-connected. He would have had top status. He would have been well-known And he would have been able to, in essence, do and get whatever he needed to do and get in his town. You don't become the leader of the center of social life and not be well connected. And so understand, too, that it was usually those in the synagogue and those leaders in the synagogue who were most opposing Jesus. And it was the religious elite who had the biggest to lose when Jesus came into town because he was breaking apart all of the games and the gimmicks and the charades and all the things that they had that were giving them a greater advantage over the people. And so what they didn't like was that Jesus was ruining their gig. And so someone like him would have been opposed to Jesus. But desperation has a way of changing all of that. See, here's what I, here's what I understand with him, although he was a man of means, and so he probably had the money, he had the status, he had the popularity, none of it could help him with what was happening in his life. And I'm going to say to my brothers in here who has daughters, you know the feeling. You could be well-connected, be at the peak of your earning level. You could be riding high, and everyone knows you, and let your daughter be sick. And you can't do a thing about it with any of those things you have, and watch how desperation plays in. I'll tell you, I know how I would feel. I have a daughter. And as I read this story, I see a man who is desperate his baby is dying matthew says here she's died don't let that fool you too in that and that he's not giving you chronological time in essence his daughter is near death why do i know because when you read mark and luke when he comes up initially he says my daughter is dying or she is about to die and Matthew, in his abbreviation, puts that and the second conversation together. Because if you go and mark as he is waiting for Jesus to come, people come up and say, Don't bother him, your daughter's dead, as if Jesus is only good to help you while you're alive. And Jesus is about to show them life or death. It doesn't make a difference. I'm effective. And so he comes up and he says to him, he says to Jesus, out of desperation and understand this, his posture and his position was one in which you knew he was a changed man. He runs up and Mark says he falls down. Matthew says he kneels down. All of them are symbolizing worship. He falls not just in desperation, but he falls and he places himself in humility under Jesus's authority. That is the first good thing this guy did. He didn't come in saying, well, you know, I'm pretty well connected. Jesus, I can make it worth your while. Boy, I can make it easy for you in this town people know me. He didn't come in with what he had. He realized that what he had was useless with what was happening in his life. And that was the first good position to be in right now. See, for some of us, God is having a hard time. I say hard time, not that it's difficult for him, is that he's, he's 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 waiting on you. For some of us, God is not moving in our our life because we are so enthralled with ourselves and what we have and what we've attained and what we're doing and who we are and the status that we have. God is waiting for you to get desperate because right now you think you're all that and that you deserve and that you should have God's response. And God was like, I'll wait on you. And when life hits you hard enough, you will bow. Because it's what this man did. It hit him in the spot that nothing mattered. Boy, he had no problem bowing. I bet you before this thing happened with his daughter, as a ruler of a synagogue, I wondered if he had issues with Jesus. We don't hear it in the text, we can't say it, but, but I wonder if in that synagogue he heard people talking about this Jesus that's coming around, if he sneered or if he turned up his nose, his lips were twisted at it, but let life happen at the right place, and you'll be ready to bow. And some of us right now, God is putting things in our life to get us to bow, not to to get us to be angry at him, and so this man comes in and he bows, and he says, well, "He says, I need your help. My daughter is dying." And that's all he says. He says, "My daughter is dying," and then he says, "Can you come and lay your hand?" You know, he heard something about Jesus. Jesus' popularity is almost at its peak right about now. And so he's heard how he'll just touch a person and they're made whole or how he'll speak. You know already what happened is that somebody started talking about the fact that we were crossing the lake and the storm came and he got up and started talking to the wind. We thought he was nuts until the wind actually listened. And then we realized that he has authority over nature. And then when we get on the land, you know, they heard the stories. Those two crazy dudes, you know, those nut jobs and everyone stayed away from that area. They came running up to Jesus and when they got to him, they stood at attention. And then he dismissed all the demons that were in him. You know, he heard the stories. He heard about Jesus. That's how people come to him. So if you and I don't tell people about what Jesus has done, how are they going to hear? Word got around, news spread, and he heard it. Now, some people, it caused them to go in the opposite direction. They wanted to oppose him, but for him, he chose to believe. And he was like, Man, well, if this guy can throw out demons, if he can talk to the storm and the wind, and and if he can just say something and people get healed, or or he can touch, he can help my daughter. Yeah, but you know you're not man, you the leader of the synagogue. You're not supposed to be talking to Jesus. He was like, whatever. I'm trying to save my daughter. And he runs in and falls on his knees and says, If you just come, but here's what I like. He had faith in the ability of Jesus. But he didn't presume the will of Jesus. What do I mean by that? See, some of us can come in and say, All right, God, when are you going to start healing? As if he's just supposed to respond to you. I talk and it happens. All I got to do is speak it. You don't see that here. He didn't come in demanding anything of Jesus. He says, My daughter is dying. Can you come? I love that question, not a demand. Can you come and just lay a hand on her? Because, from what I heard, what I know, if you touch her, she's healed. So, he believed in the ability of Jesus, but he did not presume on the will of God. And for some of us today, we confuse the two. Oh, I believe firmly that Jesus can heal. There is no issue with that in my life. I believe firmly that Jesus can do whatever he chooses to do and change in life. But I can't sit up here and say that Jesus will do it like I know what he's going to do. And so I ask him, Lord, will you come and heal? Now, come on, Jesus, get in here and heal, which is the nature of some of our prayers. Prayers. And then we get mad when he doesn't respond. Or someone told us that's what we needed to do, that it was just our faith that was weak. And so whenever we don't get what we want, we don't get mad at the one who told us that lie. We get mad at Jesus. And Jesus is standing there and going, I didn't say that. And so now he comes up and he says, if you would come and lay hands... And you know what? Jesus didn't say a word. He just gets up and follows him. I love that. See, Jesus wasn't trying to you know, um, get the crowd to follow him. Well, I guess we're going over to heal this girl. Let's go, guys. He gets up and his disciples follow him. And he just goes, I love the love for humanity Jesus has. I love the love for hurting people that Jesus has. This guy was bigger than life and now was lower than ever. Jesus could have said, Oh, were you the one that was opposing me before? No, he didn't have time. He gets up and he follows. Jesus is trustworthy. And he rewards true faith. He saw it demonstrated. So he's on his way to healing him. He gets up and he follows him. And the guy is going, great, Jesus is going to come to my house. He's going he's to do it. And as he does, he gets interrupted by another need. And I can just imagine. It'd be like, dude, like, can you wait your turn? He can come to you afterwards. I had to write this down. I had to write this down. I had to write this down. Jesus stopping to minister to someone else's need doesn't mean your need is overlooked. Because that's how we think. Oh, come on, God. You're going to take care of them. I asked you last week. Come on. See, but the deal becomes just because Jesus stops to meet someone else's need doesn't mean he's overlooked yours. Jesus knew exactly what Jairus needed, and he was on his way. And when he was on his way, when you read in now Matthew, I mean, Mark chapter 5, I want to um, pause here for a second and to compare the two, because both you saw a man of means and of high status who was desperate and you're about to see a woman who was on the fringe, cast out, who was desperate. And Jesus deals with them both. I love that. Jesus is not the Jesus of just the elite. Some people want to lead you to believe that, but he's not. He is not the one who, if you get it all together, or, or if you got the right connections, Jesus will help you. Um, he is the Jesus of the desperate but I'll put it the other way, too, because some people think he's only the Jesus of the down and out. And that if life has fallen apart, if your bills need to be paid, if you need an answer right away, then he's your Jesus. But if you're well connected, he's not your Jesus. He said he's both. And so you see the bookends right here. You see a man of high means who was desperate. And you see a woman who has spent everything she had on the fringe, outside of social society, and is desperate. Let's talk about that for a minute. So when he says his daughter, the word that is used, and it is strongly believed that she was probably right about puberty in that age. So she's probably about you know, 12 or 13 years old, which is about when, I know some of you guys would cringe, it is about when they're now starting to be considered for marriage. Back in that time, 13, 14, 15. And some of you are going, what? I, I'm, 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 I'm. No, I'm not right. Back then, different time, different society, different culture, and so here was his girl that had her whole life ahead of her, all the dreams that she had, all the dreams he had for her, being a well-connected citizen, the kids that he was looking forward to, looking forward to being granddad, and 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 all that came with seeing your little girl grow up. It was all about to end. And he came in desperation. And then now we meet this woman who comes up and we get in Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. We look at Mark and it says then that this woman had spent everything she had on different doctors and physicians and was no better. And understand with the condition she had, she was perpetually, and continually, ceremonially unclean, she could not mix with society. Leviticus chapter 15 tells you that. It says that that, 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 that discharge of blood made a woman unclean and hers didn't stop. Hers continued, and so she couldn't come to the synagogue, she couldn't come to the temple, she couldn't mix with the people, she was restricted in who she could be with, and so for 12 years, she was isolated, trying to spend all her money to become unisolated and to get back in the culture, but to no avail. And so you see both. And so here is a woman now that had, her, had not her life ahead of her, had spent her whole life in pain, had spent her whole life in isolation, and probably at this point, real bitter, you spend all your money on doctors and you're not better. You go to one doctor and he or she doesn't help you, you mad. She goes to many, and none of them can help her, and now she's broke. But it says, but she heard about Jesus. There you go again. Someone was talking about Jesus, and she heard it. She heard the commotion about who Jesus is, and she was like, I got to get to him. Now, there's believe that there was a little bit of superstition there, because in the fringe of the garment, some of the garments, they had tassels on the bottom. And she says, all I need to do is to is to just to touch the fringe. And believe there was some superstition. And You know what? She may not have had it all together, but her faith was placed properly. Once again, she said, he is the one I need to go to. Now let's not get it mixed up. When you talk about faith, this is not some sort of super juice that you have that if you have enough of it, life happens for you. That's not, he didn't say your increasing faith made you well with both of them. He said your faith. What do you mean your faith? That you have the trust in me that I am who I say I am because you heard about me and that I can meet your need. Understand this from a physical perspective, she understood that Jesus is the only one who can meet my need. From a spiritual perspective, what the gospel writers are getting you and I to see is that Jesus is the only one that can meet your need. If your faith is in the proper place or in the proper person, Jesus, you can be healed. Or in this particular case, understand the wording made well, or it's the same word. That was used for saved. As a matter of fact, up in Matthew chapter 1, when it says he will say when Joseph got the word from the angels that said that he will save his people from their sins. That is the same word that he says to the woman that he that was healed with just touching him. Your faith has saved you. What was Matthew trying to tell us? Yes, Jesus is a healer. Yes, one touch from him will bring wholeness to you. But don't get it mistaken. What is greater is that one touch from Jesus, when your faith is in him, will save you. Period. In general, eternal life. And so now the pinnacle and peak of my life is not being healed physically because even Lazarus, raised from the dead, Died. This woman that was healed from her issues of blood, she's not still alive today. Died. But the issue becomes eternity is set and she is saved. What's the greater miracle? Your salvation. People running around here thinking the greatest miracle was that you were healed from something, and that is great. That's not the greatest miracle. Can you imagine being healed from something and going to hell? Really? The greatest miracle isn't that I've been healed from a sickness and I live 50 more years. The greatest thing is that I am saved from my sins and I live forever. That we have to come and understand, and so she says, "If I just touch him," and 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 Mark gives us the scene. It's a crowd. You ever been? Okay, state fair crowd, bigger than that. Um, 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 I'm just trying to think of some of the largest crowds I've ever been in. You know, and it's just wall to wall people. New York City rush hour subway, bigger than that. Because I know you're standing there, and people are just walking around. And Jesus says. Who touched me? And his disciples did what you and I would have done. Like, dude, you tripping, right? They go, you see all these people around you and you ask who touched you? The question is, who didn't touch you? He says, no, 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 no. He says, I realize that virtue, is virtue has come from me. He says, the touch that I received wasn't incidental. It wasn't I bumped into you. The touch that I received wasn't incidental. It was intentional. And he says, somebody touched me, reached out to me in faith, and I responded automatically. And he says to you and I, I reward true faith. But he doesn't reward disingenuous faith or presumptuous faith. He doesn't. And so this woman touched him firmly believing in who he was. And she felt it as soon as she touched him. I can't even, I would love to, I, I did just chills in my body. She touched him and it says immediately she was healed and she knew it. And I was like, wow. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? And she knew, uh-oh, <laughs> maybe I wasn't supposed to touch him like that. But I did, and I know she was like, but I'm not giving it back, Jesus. This healing is mine. And so she tried to hide in the crowd, and Jesus, of course, knew who she was and looks at her. And he says, take heart. Why? Because she was probably afraid and discouraged and wondering, you know, okay, is this thing going to stay? Is he, is he going to take it back? Is, is it? He goes, take heart. Boy, I, I, I love the love and compassion of Jesus the love and the compassion and the care and he turns to her he says daughter take heart he says don't don't worry it's good you good you good he says your faith has saved you and then she left healed now you can picture Jairus is standing there are we through <laughs> can we go jesus yeah i got a daughter you good can we go <laughs> Because that would have been you and I, and then they run up and say, "Man, don't bother Jesus, she's dead." as if Jesus needs you to be alive for him to help you. And so he goes and then pay attention and says, "Show me where she is." And they get there, and you have to understand the scene. Even the poorest of people had to hire at least one mourner in this society. They had professional wailers. There were people that came to your house and wailed for you. That's how it was in the culture. They were, they had, so you, you you, had the flute players and they were playing the sad music. They were killing it and I'm like, man, I, I don't know how they did it. I'm already sad and you are making it and so you have the professional wailer and then when the time comes they start up. I was like, can you go? But that's our culture. But in this culture, they wailed and grieved loudly. And so what ends up happening is they get there, and they are in full form, full motion, wailing and all, crying and everything else. And Jesus says to them, going out. See, Matthew just put out me. He says, the put them out. He says he saw it. He actually, the word used, actually he threw them out. He says, go away, get out. Because she's only sleeping. And they were like, yeah, <laughs> dude, you are crazy, right? She's dead. And, 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 you're, and he goes, get out. Now, and some people say, well, was he referring to sleep as death? No, because that would like being saying, you know, she's not dead, she's dead. He couldn't say this. So when he says she's sleep, what he was saying is that her death is only temporary. It's not final. It's not permanent. And what that says to you and I, when Jesus came for you and I, yes, we were dead, but our death was not permanent. It was temporary. Why? Because the resurrection and the life arrived. And now he comes to you and I and says, Yes. You are dead. Yes, you are in your sins, but it doesn't have to stay this way. You can live again. And he says that to all of us. Your death doesn't have to be permanent until you die. Your spiritual death is not permanent until you physically die and you've kept rejecting me. That's what he told the group. He looked at the Pharisees that day, that they were, in, they were in full form opposing him. He looked at them and said, you will die in your sins if you do not believe in me. What he was saying is, you don't want that. He said, you will die and will still be a sinner if you don't trust me. And so he comes up and he puts them "Get out. Puts them all out and he says he just has the mom and dad. And his disciples in the room, all those who wanted this girl to live and who were believing in the person of Christ, he puts everyone else out, takes her by the hand. And Matthew gives the best account that says she arose. In other words, she was resurrected. Why? Because she was dead. And and, and so Jesus had eyewitnesses there, not just the girl's parents, but his disciples and all the people and the wearlers knew she was dead because they laughed at Jesus. And so when she comes out the room, everyone is quiet, I'm sure. And they realize, and he just affirmed, that he is the real deal. He's trustworthy, and he rewards true faith. Two incidences. And Jesus says to you and I today, I'm trustworthy. Do you believe in who I am enough that you stop living life your way and start living it my way? Do you trust me? And then secondly, he says, when and if you do, I reward true faith with eternal life and blessings in this life. We don't go around telling Jesus what to do. We don't go around demanding he do something. Did you notice that Jesus told them again several times, do not make this known. Jesus was not trying to let the world know that I'm this great healer. He wanted the world to know that I'm the savior Of this world and so for those who want to start having great healing conventions where I'm well known as the big healer that's not what Jesus did he pulls them in secret heals her and says now don't tell anyone and that's interesting because when the girl got up and left you just told everyone when the girl gets up and walks out the room that's telling But he tells them, I'm not trying to be famous. I want people to know that I came to save. I'm not trying to be famous, y'all. I'm not. This thing, and I've heard it said before, and I like that phrase, this is for the fame of his name, not ours. Jesus, to be made famous through my life, is the best thing that can happen to me. Because he's the focus Of my life and so I say to you today do you believe that Jesus is trustworthy and that he rewards true faith does your life demonstrate it if not it can it can change today and you can experience what these two experienced that Jesus is who he says he is let's pray father thank you so much that we Are serving a real, living, alive, powerful, all powerful with all authority.